If you would, turn in the Bible to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. You may have already been turned there because that was our call to worship this morning. In our church, we allow the scriptures to call us to worship. We begin every church service here by reading a passage from the word of God so that it is the word of God and the heart of God and the truth of God that literally invites us in, calls our attention to, he's worthy. There's only one God. There are no other gods bigger than him. There are no other gods other than him. There should be no gods before him. There is one true and living God, and we are to worship him. And so it is his word that he has given to us that we begin every service with here. We like that. We start. And for years and years and years, what we did here on Sunday mornings is we just read the consecutive psalm. We started at Psalm 1, the next Sunday, Psalm 2, the next Sunday, Psalm 3, the next Sunday, Psalm 4. And so with there being 150 psalms, roughly every three years, our church had read the entire book of Psalms. That was really cool. And we did that for years and years. I know that we had completed the entire book of Psalms at least three times. If you had been attending here for a long time, you would have heard all of those. But last year, we decided to change it up. We no longer do it that way for our call to worship. In 2022, we spent the first six months reading only Psalm 100 for our call to worship. And the desire was that all of us together, week after week, okay, that's roughly 26 Sundays from January's first Sunday to June's final Sunday, and we read Psalm 100 for our call to worship. Our church together memorized that. Then the next six months of the last year, 2022, we went to Psalm 23, and we read Psalm 23 every Sunday as our call to worship. We would start the service at 1045 with Psalm 23, and same thing. We did it every single week, Psalm 23, and many of you all have now memorized Psalm 100 and Psalm 23. Well, when we turned into 2023 this year that we're in right now, and we started January, we switched it over to Psalm 67. And it's March, and so we're right in the middle of it. We're going to continue until the end of June before we switch over to whatever the next psalm will be in July. But right now, our church is in the middle of a collective effort to memorize this psalm. That's why when Jake began the service and called us to this, he said, some of you may have it memorized. Wednesday night, as we were getting ready to start Wednesday night church, I had one of our children from eKids just stop me in the hallway and say, Pastor Josh, can I share something with you? And he quoted all of Psalm 67. There are seven verses there. And he quoted all of Psalm 67. Some of you already have it memorized. But our hope is that we are taking the word of God, saying that it matters to us, believing that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, believing that hiding in our heart will be used by God to cause us to not sin against him, believing that this book and this truth will make us wise unto salvation, believing that this is the living word that once it gets inside of us, it goes to work on us spiritually and causes us to be convicted of our sins and to trust in Jesus Christ, who is the living word, to cause us to believe in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. The call to worships here on Sunday mornings are not just a habit or not just some ritual that we are doing. We are very carefully saying that this book is alive, and as we commit ourselves to it, it goes to work in us. So we are in the middle of memorizing Psalm 67. And so since we're in between book studies here, we have recently finished the book of Revelation 
This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 67. Let's read it together. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you. Judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. God is a global God. And as John Stott said really profoundly, God is a missionary God. God desires that all people would know him. And as we saw in a big way in our study of Revelation, we have beautiful pictures of the throne being in the center of the universe. And at some future day when Christ returns and gathers the whole world before him, there will be a beautiful chorus of people with every skin tone and every different language there's ever been from everywhere on the planet, there will be people crying out, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy are you to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. That's gonna happen. Any sense of racism or being judgmental or not having God's perspective is totally not Christian. It's a sinful thing. And with Psalm 67, we see this. And so it's really good for us to memorize a psalm like this so that you and I would hopefully have a heart like God's heart. That you and I would have a perspective that is like God's perspective. That you and I would have a faith, an outward faith, a lived out life of faith like God would have us too. And while this psalm is very much so, you know, about the nations, this psalm is very rich because it teaches us the, the design that God has in how he's going to do this. Now, I think you know that the psalms are songs. These are these are, these are songs for the people of Israel, a Hebrew uh, hymnal, if you will. And these, these, these psalms are songs that they could have sung. Now, they're also prayers. And for us, they're also sermons and messages and teaching points. But it's good for us to remind ourselves this morning that in the middle of this, this is clearly a song. There's even a little uh, subtitle there. It says, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. So this is something they would have known, they would have believed, they would have sung, they probably would have had memorized, so that they would be believing what God is like. And may that be the case for us today. I want us to break down these seven verses. Got three points this morning. Our first point is for the kids that have a listening page is desiring God's presence and blessing. Desiring God's presence and blessing. Look how the psalm begins. Verse one, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That is a very, very rich statement. It's rooted deeply 
in the history of Israel, the early books of the Bible, and I'm going to show you that. This is a prayer in this song, in Psalm 67, that God would be near to his people, that God's presence would be with his people. This is like drawing a line, a are you in or are you not in on what real faith is about. Real faith, trusting in Christ for salvation, is about wanting God and to be close to God and needing forgiveness from God and having a relationship with God. That's what real faith, the only real faith, true saving faith is about. God being the treasure, God being the answer. Any faith that wants to use God to get God's gifts is missing out on the main thing. Certainly, God is a gift giver, and we praise him for all of our gifts. Whatever those gifts are, whether it be health, or whether it be a job, or whether it be a family, or whether it be some neighbors, or whatever the gifts are, we praise him for that. But we do not believe in God solely for the gifts that God gives. We believe in God because he is ultimately the gift. His love is the treasure. His presence is what we need. The Bible teaches this. We here today as a church need to seriously take a hard look in the mirror and ask ourselves, are we Christians or are we Christians? Are we that type of a Christian where we just use God to get goodness in our life and when the goodness is gone or absent from our lives, we, 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 we don't necessarily have faith in God? We're not faithful to him only if he looks like his goodness is in our lives because that is cheap and shallow and the world recognizes so quickly that that's more so like karma or good luck or or a rabbit's foot, or something like that. It's not faith in the living God that's revealed himself so that we are trusting in him no matter what. His ways are bigger than our ways, that type of a faith. What's happening here in Psalm 67 is a prayer to God asking for God. Asking for God to be near. God, be gracious to us, bless us, and make your face to shine upon us. Now, you you probably have already thought about it, but this finds its roots in Numbers chapter six. If you can turn there quickly, please do. If not, you can just listen and follow along. In Numbers chapter six, all right, we have what is called Aaron's blessing, the Aaronic blessing. In Numbers chapter six, verse 22, the Lord speaks to Moses and says, speak to Aaron and his sons saying this, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That right there is the Aaron blessing, which we're seeing from Psalm 67. But I want you to see verse 27 so that you'll understand what's going on here. Verse 27 of number six says, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. The desire here is for God. The desire here is to be close to God. That's a beautiful thing. Absolutely all true religion in the world that recognizes Christ as the one that will be bowed to one day recognizes Jesus Christ as the king of all kings to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, knows that God is the answer to life. Jesus is the key to life. 
This prayer is demonstrating that. Oh God, be gracious to us, bless us. God, make your face shine upon us. What does it mean, make your face shine upon us? It means we want your presence. It means we want your presence. We want you to look at us. We want you to acknowledge us. We want you to see us and know about us and care about us. We want you to be involved with us. We want you close to us, God. What a prayer. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, our religion can quickly slip away from a relationship with Christ who forgives us of our sins and welcomes us into his family off of his merit, not ours. And it will more so turn into just hoping God will do good to us. Just hoping God will work out our lives the way we want it to go instead of a relationship. This prayer in Psalm 1 shows us that is not to be the case. It is a desiring of God's presence and blessing. This is what we've always seen throughout the faith, especially as the scriptures reveal it and show it to us. And so I want to give you several examples really quickly. The first one is Moses in Exodus 33. Again, if you could turn there quick, I'm about to show you four examples. If you can turn there quickly and follow along, then let's roll. But if not, that's okay. Just listen. Moses is here trying to lead the people of Israel. You know the story of the Exodus. You know the stiff necks and the hard hearts. You know the rebellion. You know how hard it was for Moses You know how insecure Moses was. You know how God had chosen him to be the leader and Moses really didn't want to be the leader and God said, you're going to be the leader. He felt unqualified. In Exodus 33, 14, listen to this. And God said, my presence will go with you. See, that's what I'm talking about, the presence of God in our lives. Exodus 33, 14, God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses replies in verse 15 and says, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Now stop there for a second. We're not done there, but stop from there. Moses is showing us right now, he doesn't want freedom or slavery more than he wants God's presence. Moses is showing us right now, he's not wanting health or or sickness more than he wants God. Whatever God's about to lead him into, God, just be there with us. That's what he desired. That's real faith. That's the cry of Psalm 67, God. God, make your face shine upon me. I can endure anything God wants me to endure if he is with me. Don't you remember when the brave Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, if you throw us in there, our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not doing what you tell us to do. Not bowing down to what you tell us to bow down to. You remember that? It was this like faith in God that was enough for them. And Moses is modeling this here. He says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Now look at verse 16. Oh, actually, I got to hold off. got to hold off. That's my second point, okay? So first one, all right, first example here is Moses in Exodus 33 pointing out, if you're not going to go with us, don't send us. We want you. All right, here's another one, Psalm 16, and you've heard this before. Psalm 16, 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. God, in your presence is where I'm happiest. In your presence, God, is where I'm most satisfied. That's a real place. That's a real heart posture. That's a real believer. That's a real faith. 
knowing that God is the key. Or what about this one that you've heard from John chapter three, when John the Baptist, in the middle of the beginning of Jesus' ministry, in John chapter three, verse 30, when John the Baptist declares incredibly boldly and profoundly, he must increase, I must decrease. What does John the Baptist know about Jesus that he would say, I need less of me, less of me, smaller of me, less attention upon me, more of Jesus? He's understanding this cry in Psalm 67, then it's the presence. Or what about Jesus in Luke 24? As he's battling with all that he's dealing with, going down the home stretch of Jesus' earthly life. When Jesus cried out, not my will, but yours be done. What does it tell us about the will of God that Jesus would say, your will is better than my will? I want you to do what you think you should do more than what I want you to do. Jesus models for us there what John the Baptist showed for us there, what the psalmist shows, what Moses shows, that God is the answer. God is the treasure. The prayer of Psalm 67 is, God, be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. I know we're praying people because we're praying church. And we do a lot of praying. We got a prayer team here. We got praying going on every hour of the week. I love it. We got prayer meetings. There's so much prayer that goes on here. And we pray for lots of things, and that's good. We should. We need to also make sure that our prayer includes Psalm 67 1. God, make your face to shine upon us. God, do whatever you're doing in our lives. Make this sickness, make this doctor appointment, make this job interview, make this relationship, make whatever we're going through that we're praying for. Make it be so that we are closer to you. Make it be so that we know you. Make it be so that you are real in our lives, God. That needs to be a prayer. This week, like almost every week, I had a conversation with somebody who's struggling. They, they need some help and they're going through it. We feel, feel for them. And so we are trying to do practically, tangibly, as much as we can to help them. Can we help them out? Can we give them rides? Can we be involved? Can we give them some money? Can we give them a hand? Can we give them some resources? You know, what can we do? And we're doing a lot of that. We have been and we will continue to help people on the ground with our hands, real needs being met. But there came a point in one of these conversations, and this happens a lot, where the conversation turned to me just saying, they also need Jesus. They need to know God. They need to find security in the way that God loves them and will forgive them. They need to know Jesus as the Lord and leader of their lives. This is true. Helping people is a beautiful thing that Christians must do. Helping people find their lives in God is at the very center of it. The prayer of Psalm 67 is for God's presence and blessing to be real in our lives. That's the first point. The second point builds upon it. Number two, and these are much longer than my points are normally. Number two, desiring God's presence and blessing for the benefit of all peoples. Desiring God's presence and blessing for the benefit of all peoples. The transition from verse one in Psalm 67 to verse two in Psalm 67 is massive and we cannot miss it. 
Verse one says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Verse two says that, so that, in order that, in the process of, to make this happen, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. This is where Psalm 67 finds its very center and core. And folks, we have got to learn this. We've got to embrace this in our faith. Our Christianity must process this, believe this, and then go and live this out. That the prayer for God to work in our lives and create his presence and blessing with us is in part due or, or to the end that therefore other people would be blessed. We have been blessed to be a blessing. As God blesses us and makes his life, makes our lives about him, the result of that would be his way known on earth, his way known on earth, his way known on earth, and his saving power among all nations. We are to be Christ followers so that other people will come to follow Christ. We are to be God worshipers so that other people would come to be worshipers of God. We are to bask in the love and forgiveness of God so that other people would come to rest in the love and forgiveness of God. This is the strategy of God. Psalm 67, one and two says it so plainly. This is why it's good for us to memorize this so that you and I would be thanking God all that you're doing in my life. And that's such a common phrase in healthy churches and I rejoice at that. We hear it all the time, and we say it all the time, and we observe it all the time. Man, God is doing a lot around here. God is working in our lives. He's working in our families. He's working in our children. People are stepping up. People are growing. God is doing so many things, and we praise him for it. He's working in our community. He's working around us. But the reason why he is doing that is not so that you and I have more money or more security or more friends. The big reason why he's doing that is you and I and being faithful to him would cause other people to know how good he he is, that as his face shines upon us, it would then start to shine upon them. As God is near to us and gracious to us and blessing us, it would in turn cause other people to say, I want that God. I want that love. I want that life that God gives. Desiring God's presence and blessing for the benefit of all peoples. It will be good for the nations, this is saying, if God blesses the people of Israel. The notion of judgmental and, 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 and not understanding that other people can be loved by God is so anti-Bible, it's so not God. Whoever started being that way are not people that read the Bible. Here, the purpose of the blessing was so that other people would trust in the God that blesses. What a message that is. It will be good for them if God blesses us. It will be good for them if God blesses us. That's the heart of the scriptures. Think about that. If you think you can receive the blessing of God and it be worse for the people around you, you don't know God. You don't know the Christianity that the Bible's teaching. In God blessing his people, his ways will be known on earth. In God blessing his people, his salvation, his saving power will be known among all nations. Josh Womble read earlier from Acts chapter one, and that's why we read that passage. Coming out of the gospels, Jesus is leaving, 
entering into the acts and the ministry of the apostles, Jesus is leaving. And the Bible teaches very clearly that Jesus must leave so that the Holy Spirit can come. And when the Holy Spirit comes into the lives of people to live and dwell in people, the Bible says that that means they will receive power. The power is not outside of God. The power is in God being in the people. They're not disconnected. It's the presence of God in our lives that is the power, the Holy Spirit. But the power will come upon them so that they will go and be witnesses everywhere. That's why he's doing it. The Holy Spirit is coming to live inside of people to therefore give them power to go and live boldly out in the world so that everybody that they encounter will come to know how good God is. His ways would be known and his saving power would be experienced. Now back to that passage in Exodus 33 where I just about jumped the gun a few minutes ago. Moses says, my presence will go with you, or God says, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Moses replies and says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Now look at the next verse, verse 16, Exodus 33, 16. Listen to this. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? Did everybody see that? What is it that makes them distinct? God with them. Not how pretty they are, not how good their schools are, not how blessed their nation is, not how powerful their military is, not how much money they got, not how they're the greatest nation upon earth, not this, not that, not any material blessing is what's gonna make them distinct in the world. What will make them distinct in the world is the presence of God, a relationship with Jesus, being loved like nobody else can love, having your sins forgiven in a world where nobody else can forgive your sins. That is what would make them distinct. May our Christianity be what the Bible teaches. May our faith be fueled by what the Bible actually says. Moses, thousands of years ago, as the people of Israel, the only people at that time that could claim that they were God's people, the only nation ever that could claim that they were God's people, the people of Israel, ever. And he says, it is not your blessing. It is not your blessings alone that will make us distinct from the world. It is your presence. How will the world know that we are yours, God? This is Moses in Exodus 33, 16. Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? The blessing is so that other people would benefit. What a strategy this becomes for Christians and New Testament churches. What a strategy this becomes for people like us who want others to know God. Is Louisville better off because of the churches here? Is South Louisville better off because of our churches? Is South Louisville better off because of this church, because of us? Is Fairdale, are your neighbors better off because you live beside them? Is God's blessing on you? And therefore they get the benefit of that? Is it good for somebody to know you? Is your workplace better off because you're there? Is it filled with the fruit of the Spirit and kindness and humility? Is the work ethic so strong there because of you are working for the Lord and rather not for man? Are our neighborhoods and ball fields 
Are our classrooms better off because of our presence there? Charles Spurgeon writes on Psalm 67 and he says, it would however be very wrong to let our charity end where it begins, as some do. Our love must make long marches and our prayers must have a wide sweep. We must embrace the whole world in our intercessions. We want the blessing of God upon us to result in, ripple effect into the blessing of God being found on others. We do not want it just for ourselves. The message is not just, are they better off? But it's very clear in in, in Psalm 67, verse two, that the message is that your way may be known, your saving power among all nations. As believers get involved in whatever they get involved with, it should be causing people to understand God better. Their eyes should be opened up Their views of the world and their views of life should be opened up to that's what God's like. In other words, I've never heard that before. I didn't know that God was like that. I've never seen that lived out. I've never been treated this way. I've never seen somebody act that way. I didn't know what God was like. And they're being introduced to what God is truly like. I told the story before. There's a man that's been living in my neighborhood for eight years, eight years. Awesome man, awesome job, good family, good wife, couple kids. They play ball, he works, he provides, and all of that. And they came down, pushing a stroller, riding a bike, dribbling a basketball like normal people do, and they looped through the cul-de-sac. So we went out there to talk to him. He started asking me questions about the house, and you know, he's trying to do some remodeling in his house, just kind of normal conversations. And I said, here, come on in. I'll show you what I'm talking about. And he was hesitant. He wouldn't. What do you mean, go inside your house? Yeah, yeah, come on in, I'll show you. Hey, it might be a mess, but, but come on in. He said, really? I said, yeah, let's go, come on in. So we ended up walking inside. Go inside, show him what I'm talking about. Had, had a little bit of remodeling done. We come back out, he says, I've lived here eight years lived in this neighborhood eight years. That's the first time I've ever been invited in or been inside of the home of an American. He knows a lot of Christians. Nobody's ever invited him inside their house. What was all the blessing for? What was the blessing What was the goal? What was the goal of God turning your heart into loving? What was the the goal of God filling your soul with fruit of the Spirit that is described as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control? What was the goal of God doing that inside of you if he has done that? If it's not lived out as the blessing of God is to produce benefit for all the peoples. Look what it says here in verse four. Let the nations be glad. It's so simple, is it not? Let the nations be glad. 
Let them sing for joy. You judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon earth. God is ultimately, supremely fair with the world. He will judge everybody for all the wrong they've done. Everybody. And he has mercy upon whom he wants to have mercy. And in love, he sent his son to die for people. God will deal fairly with everybody. And he is working in the world in a masterful way. He says here that he guides the nations upon earth, which that means a lot of things, but it certainly means he's working there. Guide the nations upon earth is a deep thought, but it means he's working there. And as he's working there in the midst of all places and all peoples, it is to be those that know God that help other people know God. One helpful little exercise that we've used here a lot is that take somebody you know, they don't go to church. They don't hear sermons like this. They don't hear the Bible read. They don't know anything about the Bible, all right? Take that person, and they also don't read the Bible, okay? So the Bible teaches us that we're not supposed to understand the Bible on our own just by reading it. That's a good thing. We are to read it. We are to know it. But God has designed it where we are to be taught by faithful people. That's God's design. One faithful person shares it to another faithful person, then they pass it on to create more faithful people. That's God's design. Faith comes through hearing, the Bible says. But take somebody who never hears it, never reads it, doesn't know it. See, what they're doing is they're having to form an opinion of God based off people that claim God. Do you remember in the Aaron Blessing, the last verse I showed you? The Aaron Blessing is 24 to 26 in Numbers, but verse 27 is where God said, I will put my name on them. Do you remember that phrase? What if God's name is on people that don't represent God? What if God's name is on us because we're here today and we give out a lot of sweatshirts and we don't represent the blessing of God? The people don't benefit from it. Matter of fact, the people are hindered by it. It's a hindrance to claim God and not represent God. It's a hindrance to walk in disobedience with the name of God on us. It's a disservice to the goodness and the glory and the holiness of God. The blessing on us is so that we would be a blessing. And the prayer shows us this. God, so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Several years ago, I was at a soccer tournament. And a lady that I'd never seen before came up and she said, are you from the church in Fairdale? This is at a soccer tournament nowhere near Fairdale. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, listen, my kids went to private school, K through eight, and we loved it. But we needed to switch over. We were so worried about our kids going to a public school and we decided to go to Fairdale. And we didn't know anything about what the church was doing in Fairdale. 
And I want you to know that we have loved it, that every week our kids are in a Bible study. Our kids are coming to your church and you're feeding them. Their kids are on a football team and a soccer team. And she said, I want you to know that we are so thankful for that. That's one small example of our church desiring to represent God and hoping that somebody else benefits from it. There ought to be lots of those. I think that there are, but there should be lots of examples of those. You can ask Miss Cheryl. You can ask anybody that works out there at the food pantry line. This Wednesday, as we serve close to 200 to 300 households like we do every Wednesday, there are many, 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 many that come through there. And as we help them, they say things to us that are so encouraging in the name of Christ. They let us know that they're Christians. They tell us what church they're a part of. They let us know how helpful it is and how good it is and the blessing it is that we're praying for them, that we're assisting them, that we're doing this. That's an example among many of somebody being blessed and wanting to pass along the blessing. Psalm 67 says, bless us. Make your face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, so that your saving power would be known among all nations. Number one, desiring God's presence and blessing just as the heart of the believer. But number two, desiring God's presence and blessing for the benefit of all peoples. And now lastly, desiring God's presence and blessing for the benefit of all peoples and therefore for the glory of God. We don't want to be so shallow to just say pass along goodness, although that is a part of what this is saying. We want it to result in other people that know Christ. We want it to result in people that worship him. That in this whole process of this whole psalm, the result is what three and five say exactly the same way. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. That the goal of all the blessing is that more and more people would worship God. That people would say, Jesus is the truth. That people would say, my sins are forgiven. That people would say the cross was for me, that people would say the empty tomb is real and my sins are forgiven, that my identity is in God. I am loved by him. That's the goal. John Piper wrote a whole book off of this psalm and it's called Let the Nations Be Glad. And as soon as the book begins, I mean the first page of the book, he hits the nail on the head. You don't even have to read the whole book if you get the first page. And on the first page, Piper says clearly, missions exist. The reason why we do missions, which we just prayed for, which we have a lot of people involved in, missions exist because worship doesn't. The whole reason why you go and send and preach and pray and give and do all that we are doing is because people don't know God. Missions exist because worship doesn't. If you know that, you know the whole book. But I still want to read to you the opening paragraph. Listen. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we see we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. 
The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. Psalm 97 says, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. And Psalm 67 says, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. But worship is also the fuel of missions. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. You cannot commend what you don't cherish. Let me read that last sentence again. You cannot commend what you don't cherish. And I think that gets right at the heart of us misunderstanding the original blessing. The blessing is not the stuff. The blessing is God himself. When God himself is our treasure and the way he loves and the presence he gives and the way he fills our soul, then that we want others to experience. When the blessing of God is stuff, we will often keep it for ourselves and be judgmental on the people that don't have the stuff that we have. The treasure is Christ. You cannot commend what you do not cherish. Or to put it another way, listen to what Spurgeon says, again, writing on Psalm 67. God deals in a way of mercy with his saints, and then they make that mercy and that way known far and wide. It's the way God does it. And the Lord's name is made famous in the earth. God works in one person, and they go and share how God worked in them, and then God works in the next person. That's the way it's designed. Ignorance of God is the great enemy of mankind. And the testimonies of believers, experimental and grateful, overcome this deadly foe. God's working in our lives is to extend the working in other lives. We've been blessed by his presence to be a blessing. Look how the psalm ends in verses six and seven as we start to wrap up. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The psalmist sings at the end what it prayed at the beginning. The prayer of verses one and two turns into the song of verses six and seven. The Psalmist is understanding that what he desires early on is the very way that God does it. The prayer is for God's blessing to happen so that other people would know. The song is God's blessing will happen and other people will know. Isn't it amazing? Isn't the strategy of God and the way he's been doing it? I loved it. I hope you called it when Josh Womble prayed earlier in the service. This Acts 1.8 says, You'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. And Womble said, that's true. And that happened because Fairdale is the remotest part of the earth. You don't get any more remote than this. From Louisville or Jerusalem. We're out there, aren't we? 2,000 years ago, as the word of God was happening, And that promise was made as Jesus was just about to ascend up into heaven. Nobody ever heard of Fairdale, Kentucky. I don't even know if they'd heard of North America back then. 
But it got here because somebody said, Jesus changed my life and he'll change other people's lives. The blessing came to somebody and they said, this ought to benefit somebody else. So they went and told some other people and then other people came to know Jesus. God is worshiped in this country. God is worshiped in Fairdale. People know Jesus here because somebody received the blessing of God to know Jesus and went and told people. This is what Psalm 67 is all about. Desiring God's presence and blessing for the benefit of all peoples and therefore for the glory of God, for the worship of God so that people would know him. I want to tell you a story that has unfolded in our church over the last 10 years or so. There was a young lady that started attending our church. She was a Christian when she already came. She was hungry to grow in her faith. She was young. She showed up with her Bible. She started attending. She came to whatever we had and she started growing. I remember all that clearly. I remember when she started having a guy tag along and come with her. I remember him coming. I remember them telling me their story of how one day she was running on a track at a school and he was running on a track at a school and they were going opposite directions on the track and when he saw her, he turned around and started chasing her on the track. That's how they met. I remember him trusting in Christ here at our church. And I remember baptizing him. I remember him growing in his faith and being involved. They are even here this morning, still, many years later, faithful to Christ. I remember her being faithful through her college years, going to school, working a job, being married, all of that, that's a lot. I remember her attending our college Bible studies, and then I remember her attending Thursday morning lady Bible study here, all the while growing in her faith. I remember her showing up to ladies Bible study on Thursday with a big stack of books and workbook because she was studying for college and she wanted to get done. I remember her growing in her faith through all of it. I remember her finally getting a job. She wanted to be a teacher. She became a teacher. She is a teacher now, and she currently works in a Bullitt County middle school. Then I remember her being curious about why there is no ministry being done at that school. Kids knew that she was a Christian, and they would ask their teacher, can you talk to us? Can we do something? Why is there no Christian group or club or Bible study or anything being done here? I remember her reaching out to us and Kyle Pomeroy about what can be done. And I remember her being led and to start an FCA till now every week at her school, she leads, teaches, and preaches middle school students to know Jesus. Why did God work in her life? Why has God blessed her to know him so that other people would? I haven't met the parents, but I can guarantee you this. There are some parents somewhere in Bullock County that are rejoicing that she's there, right? That's the way it works. There are some people benefiting because of somebody else living for Jesus. Psalm 67 unfolds all of that. Church, may we embody God has worked in us. He has blessed us to know him. And may we say, God, use us so that other people will know you. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for the life change that Jesus gives and for the deep heart, heart change that you create in us. God, thank you that as we read and memorize Psalm 67, we are moved to see that your presence in our lives is for others to see. Moses, long ago in the the first books of the Bible, understood that. And the New Testament understands that. Nobody takes a lamp and puts it under the table. The lamp has been lit that you would set it up on top of something so that everybody can see it. You are the light and you say that we are the light so that others might get out of the darkness. Father, thank you that Psalm 67 is short, seven verses, short enough that we could memorize it. But Father, help us to digest it. Help us, God, to be not hearers only, but doers. Help us, God, to be blessed so that we would be a blessing. And may our hearts desire that the blessing for us be your presence. Father, thank you for Jesus, our Lord. In his name we pray, amen.